We welcome you again to Prairie View. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a good Sunday, even though it's a little bit dark outside. We're happy that you're here. Now, as we wrap up First Peter, we already have been given plenty to think about from the past three weeks. Peter has repeatedly reminded us of our identity in Christ. He's told us that we are chosen and accepted, that we are part of God's royal family. He's told us that we are a people for God's own possession, even in those moments when this world might exile us or disown us. Now, how exactly did we become part of God's family? Well, that's why Peter brings up what Jesus has done for us. He makes it clear that Jesus is the spotless lamb who shed his blood for sinners like us. And he tells us that his blood is far more precious than silver or gold because Jesus is the faithful, holy, suffering servant. And then, of course, Peter gives us a challenge, the challenge to live like the holy people we already are. He says we're called to display the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and to spread that truth through our conduct. We're called to suffer faithfully, even when our suffering is unjust or seems unfair. We're called to share our hope at all times to a watching world and not just with words. And we're called to love our brothers and sisters in God's family through it all, through the ups and through the downs. Now, of course, that's a lot to take in. And as we mentioned last week, we might read or hear the challenges in First Peter and think that we could never possibly be up to the task. Well, that's why we keep our eyes on Christ, the one who is victorious over sin, death, and even Satan himself. Christ is the one that our identity is founded in. He's the one who has saved us. And while Peter challenges us to be holy in the midst of our suffering, he also points our eyes to Christ's holiness in his suffering. Because that's where our ultimate hope, our ultimate peace, our ultimate salvation really truly lie. He says we've been given the Holy Spirit that we might walk in Christ's footsteps. We have been given God's word that we might grow and mature in our knowledge of God and our godliness. And we've been given the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, so that we don't have to do any of this alone. But as we finish things up, Peter gives us even more guidance when it comes to the challenges that he's issued. And Peter gets much more specific about the things and even more so the people that God has given us. The people that God has given us to help us live faithfully in this hostile world. And the guidance that Peter offers is something that we strive to practice here at Prairie View. But it's something that we as a church, every single one of us, must continually pursue moving forward. So with that, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide and take a Bible home with you if you don't. Own one. But before we do any further reading, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the rain that is falling outside, that you sustain your creation, that the seasons come and the seasons go, and yet you sustain us. You provide for us. You give your creation what it needs. And Father, thank you for your power and your glory, and your wisdom that are on display as we look at your creation. 
thank you that we can know you are there. Not just through looking at our world, but through looking at your word. And Father, thank you that we can learn so much about you from reading your word. That you've given us the privilege of knowing so much about you from reading this book. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we turn our eyes to your word, as we tune our ears to hear what your scripture has to say, I pray that you would give us hearts and minds willing to receive it. I pray that you would give us lives that submit to it. And I pray that we would find joy and obedience, obedience to you. Because as we mentioned earlier during our communion meditation, you know what is best for us and you love us and you have our best interest at heart. And we're so grateful for your word. But Father, thank you for your son who died for us, whose precious blood was shed that we might call ourselves part of your family. We are in awe of that, and we thank you for your grace and your kindness and your mercy. And we thank you that we can pray to you as our Father. In all these things, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, as we begin 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter uses the imagery of a shepherd overseeing his sheep. Now, where do you think he would have gotten that from? Now, of course, there are lots of passages in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that compare the leaders of God's people to shepherds and God's people themselves to sheep. We'll mention a couple of those texts in a moment. But maybe Peter didn't use this imagery of a shepherd just because he's read it somewhere. Maybe there's something more to it. Maybe this imagery of a shepherd watching over his sheep is a bit more personal for Peter than just a few Bible verses he's read as a kid. Think back to John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. We see a conversation there between Jesus and Peter after Jesus has risen from the dead, but before he has ascended to be with God. And in that conversation, we read this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This whole idea of a shepherd feeding his sheep is a lot deeper for Peter than just a few Bible verses he read when he was younger. He's thinking back to Jesus's conversation. Because from that point forward, after that conversation with Christ, Peter had an explicit responsibility an explicit calling to shepherd the flock that Jesus specifically entrusted to him. And this calling of Peter would require great commitment, great courage, great endurance, and even a willingness to suffer. 
And in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit developing these traits within Peter. That courage, that endurance, that willingness to suffer that Peter didn't always have before. And those are traits that Peter would certainly need as he leads the early church as it got off the ground. So here we have Peter, the fellow elder, the fellow shepherd, issuing guidance to these other shepherds, overseeing their respective flocks, overseeing their respective churches. And Peter gives them the exact same challenge that Jesus gave Peter. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. And as we get into the specific expectations that Peter has of these shepherds, it's absolutely worth mentioning that we have the same expectations of our shepherds here at Prairie View. As most of you know by now, our church has elders. We have six elders at the time being. These elders are nominated and elected to leadership roles by the members of this congregation. And four of them were recently reconfirmed after their previous term came to an end. And one of them, Carl Pafford, is serving again after a brief time away. And so elders who are in the room, we need to pay particular attention to a passage like this. But then congregation, you need to pay attention as well. And we'll talk about why here in just a few moments. But Peter begins chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter tells the shepherds to oversee the flock of God. Now, what exactly does that entail? What does it mean to oversee this group of sheep? Well, think about the usual tasks of a literal shepherd over literal sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep to nourishment and leads them away from danger. A good shepherd is willing to go out and look for one lost sheep when it leaves the group, like Jesus teaches in Luke 15. A good shepherd is willing to discipline his sheep if it foolishly gets itself into trouble. Not for the sake of punishment for doing something bad, but for the sake of its long-term well-being. That's what good shepherds do over their flocks. That's true out in the field, and it's true in the church as well. Now, of course, who's a part of the flock? Well, at some level, we can consider anyone who calls Prairie View their home church to be part of our flock. But then on an even deeper level, we have a specific commitment, a specific responsibility to those who have formally, publicly, and voluntarily attached themselves to Prairie View. That's why we practice church membership. Because church membership helps us keep track of who's a part of our flock. After all, it's hard to be good shepherds when we're not totally sure who our sheep are. So when you commit to membership, 
formally, publicly, voluntarily. We consider that you are officially asking us to be your shepherds. And we take that shepherding responsibility very, very seriously. So we see the command to shepherd the flock of God. We see some idea of who the sheep are, who we're responsible for. But then as Peter continues, we start to see more about how we actually go about doing it. And even more directly, you could ask, well, what kind of people should the shepherds be? And that's what Peter answers. The first thing he tells us is that shepherds should serve willingly, not under compulsion. Overseeing the flock of God is a privilege and a responsibility. And at times, there's certainly an aspect of duty to it. You feel like you have a duty to watch over these sheep. But at the same time, it shouldn't be some terrible burden for us. The shepherd is called to serve out of joy, not serve out of guilt or obligation. There are men at Prairie View who have been nominated to serve as elders by the congregation, but they've chosen not to. And when that happens, we respect the decision of those men, and we don't pressure anyone to serve against their will. Because Peter says that's not how shepherds are called to serve. Another thing that Peter tells us is that shepherds shouldn't serve for shameful gain. Now, of course, anytime you hear the phrase shameful gain, you can't help but think of money. And in the New Testament, many elders were compensated by their churches. And our elders here aren't paid, but our staff members are. And so stewardship certainly matters amongst those leaders in the church. Our staff or anyone who handles the money at Prairie View Christian Church is called to be above reproach and should not be serving for shameful gain. Whether you're an unpaid elder or a paid staff member, we are shepherds. And we serve for the good of the church, the good of the sheep, not for our own gain. But even though we don't pay our elders here, their ability to be good stewards with the money that you give is incredibly important. In fact, money is emphasized in the three biggest elder passages in the New Testament. Here, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1. Peter emphasizes that elders must be good stewards, and Paul does the exact same thing. But of course, there are other forms of shameful gain as well. It's not just limited to money. An elder should not serve just to shamefully gain power because he likes feeling important. An elder should not serve just to shamefully gain another thing to list on his resume. An elder should not serve just to shamefully gain a hobby because he's bored. We serve for the good of the church, not for our own benefit. But then Peter continues. Shepherds shouldn't serve in a way that is domineering over the flock. Jesus' disciples didn't always get this. As they're approaching Jerusalem, before Jesus has been crucified, they have a lot of images running through their head. They're imagining Jesus going in, cleaning house, sitting on a throne, and ruling with power as an earthly king. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. And he's not going to give them positions of earthly power and earthly authority. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 42, 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Elders and shepherds in the church are not dictators. We are not bosses. We are not board members. We are not investors. We are servants. We are shepherds. And above everything else, we exist to meet the spiritual needs of our flock. And our leadership is not seen in raw displays of power and authority. Our leadership is best displayed through service. And best displayed through living as examples of Christ. And then finally, certainly last but not least, shepherds in a local church are submissive to Jesus. As Peter calls him, the chief shepherd. Back in chapter 2, verse 25, Peter referred to Christ as the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, in the big scheme of things, he is our best shepherd. We are sinful. He's not. The elders have to answer to you as the congregation when it comes to how we shepherd. But even more than that, we have to answer to Christ. We have to look to him. We will ultimately be held accountable for how we shepherded his church. Because we've been given the same challenge that Christ gave Peter. But again, if we're submitting to Christ... If we're submitting to the chief shepherd, it should be much easier for you to submit to us. And then, of course, what is the shepherd's end goal? We've talked about the responsibility. We've talked about who the flock are. We've talked about what shepherds should look like. But what is our end goal? Well, our end goal is that we as shepherds and that you as the sheep that God has given us to oversee, that every single one of us would all receive the crown of glory. The ultimate goal of an elder, the ultimate goal of a shepherd, is to hear Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. You fed, you tended, you loved, you oversaw, you guided my flock well. That is our goal. That is our ultimate prize. Now, of course, not to make ourselves out to be martyrs, but shepherding is a lot harder than it looks. You have no idea how much we love you, how much we pray for you, how much we worry about you, and how much we rejoice over you. You may not realize it, but when things are going bad for you, it affects us. And when things are going well for you, we celebrate with you. And many of us as elders feel inadequate and overwhelmed at times. To even be your shepherds. Now it certainly helps that there's more than one of us. It helps that we can encourage each other and hold each other accountable. And that we all have different gifts that we can bring to the table to serve this church. But it's hard. It's challenging. And we make mistakes. And we don't always shepherd well. But on behalf of the shepherds, the elders here at Prairie View, we have a request to make of all of you as the congregation. We ask that you pray for us. Pray that we would have wisdom 
and humility. Pray that we would be guided more by Scripture and more by the Holy Spirit than our own common knowledge, more than our own ideas, our own innovations. We ask that you hold us accountable, but that you conversely be gracious to us when we fail, because we will. We ask that you have high expectations of us the way Peter tells you to. But we also ask that you don't put us on some unrealistic or unsustainable pedestal. We ask that you trust us and you listen to us and you follow us to the degree that we trust and listen to and follow Christ. And again, the more Christ-like we are as elders, the more Christ-like we are as shepherds, the easier that submission will be on our congregation. But that's not all that Peter talks about. He continues in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as Peter wraps things up, he challenges all of us, shepherds, sheep, the whole church. He challenges all of us to humble ourselves under the hand of God. Now that's not that hard to do when things are going well, right? When it seems as though God is blessing and rewarding your efforts, it's not so bad humbling yourself to him. When life is good, humbling yourself before God seems like a natural thing to do. Why wouldn't you do that? But as we've seen so much in this letter, humbling ourselves under the hand of God may also entail suffering may also mean that life won't be perfect. Commentator David Helm writes, This life is anything but your best life now. Glory comes by way of the ground. The attainment of heaven will be by way of an excruciating journey. We will receive heaven's gains by carrying our cross here and now. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. When you think about it, it's incredibly arrogant to assume that God would never allow us to suffer. Think about the Bible. The patriarchs in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all suffered at times. The Israelites suffered. King David suffered. The prophets suffered. Jesus suffered. The apostles suffered. Countless Christians in the past have suffered. And countless Christians right now are suffering, specifically because of their faith. And so any preacher, any shepherd who tells you that the more faith you have, the less you'll suffer, or the more obedient you are, the less you'll suffer, that shepherd is a liar. That shepherd is a snake oil salesman. And you should run the opposite direction. But the good news 
is that the God whose hand we humble ourselves under is the same God that Peter says cares deeply for us. That we can cast our anxieties on him. We're talking about the God who raised Jesus from the dead. We're talking about the God who holds the entire universe in his hands. We're talking about the God who knows how many hairs are on your head. He's the God who loves us even when we suffer now. Even when we suffer in this life. And we trust that he will vindicate us in eternity. Because he cares for us. Because he's good. Because he loves us. And because in the same way that Christ suffered and was vindicated, we too will suffer. And we too will be vindicated by the grace of God. So Peter's instruction is to find some good shepherds to watch over you. Humble yourselves under the hand of God. Trust that God cares for you, even when life seems to be spinning down the drain. Now that could be easier said than done. Because as Peter has made clear, we live in a hostile world that may not always be friendly to those who profess Christ. He just said that we're not just facing a hostile world, but we're facing Satan himself, a hungry lion who would love to see us fall. And that's an enemy that we can't overcome on our own strength. But as we read in James chapter four, verse seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we suffer faithfully. We cast our anxieties on God, knowing that he cares for us. We keep our eyes on the chief shepherd because we know in the end that we will be restored and confirmed and strengthened and established in eternity. And again, when you think back on the life of Peter, Peter knew a thing about that as well. Think back to that chapter we read from John at the beginning of the sermon, John chapter 21. That conversation that occurs between Jesus and Peter before Jesus ascends to be with God. That conversation took place after Peter had blown it. Peter had rejected Christ more than once. I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not with him. He rejected Christ to a girl who asked if he knew him. Peter was so nervous and so ashamed and so scared that he couldn't even one time muster up the guts to say that he was a follower of Christ. And yet here we see Jesus being a good shepherd. We see Jesus forgiving Peter. We see Jesus restoring and confirming and strengthening and establishing Peter after he fell into sin and rejection. That is the same chief shepherd that we know. That is the same chief shepherd that we trust. That is the chief shepherd that we follow, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his sheep, who gave up his life as a ransom for many, even though he was spotless and pure and holy. We have a lot against us, a hostile world, a hungry lion prowling, looking to devour us. But none of those things can match up to our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. So let's wrap things up by reading 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Peter says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, 
I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, as we've mentioned before, it's really easy to read over the final verses of the letter. But here, Peter says that his goal was to exhort and declare. And I hope that he's done that for you over the past few weeks. I hope you've been exhorted and encouraged to faithfulness. I hope that this book has declared the glories of what God has in store for you when you follow Christ. But then I can't help but look at that closing line that Peter writes. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. After a letter like this, how can Peter possibly expect his readers to have peace? He just told us that the world is against us, that God will allow us to suffer, and that Satan is on the prowl. How in the world can we have peace in a place like that? Well, again, we look to Christ the chief shepherd. In this world and in this life, good shepherds, good elders, the kind that we strive to be here at Prairie View, good shepherds and good elders can help you in this life of faithfulness. We can shepherd each other. We can love each other. We can spur each other on to endurance. But ultimately, remembering Christ, the chief shepherd, the best shepherd, The shepherd who oversees all of us. That's the key to endurance. That's the key to faithfulness. Because our chief shepherd is the one who our hope and our confidence and our joy and our salvation lie. So we strive to be good shepherds here at Prairie View. We strive to humble ourselves under the hand of God. We strive to live as examples for you, the flock. But even when we fail, And even when we fall short, every single one of us in this room has a chief shepherd to look to. One to trust in. One to follow. One who is pure and holy and spotless. And that shepherd is the one who saves us. So as we leave here, we look to him. And we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your son. As we read at the beginning of the service in Ezekiel 34, there's that promise long before Christ that you would gather your sheep, that you would gather your people, and that you would shepherd us well, and that you would shepherd us rightly. And we see the fulfillment of that in the incarnation of Christ, that he comes and he lives a sinless life, And he gives his life up on behalf of the sinful sheep. And so, Father, we are so grateful that you have given us this shepherd. But, Father, in the meantime, help those of us who are elders and shepherds here at Prairie View to be the kinds of elders that you call us to be. To submit to your son Christ, to serve for the good of this church, not for our own gain. Not to domineer not to flaunt our office or our power or authority or our titles, but rather to simply be servants. And Father, I pray for this flock that every single one of us 
would display and proclaim the excellencies of your son Jesus to a watching world. We've talked about it for four weeks now, but as we leave this place, as we leave this building, we go out into a world that doesn't know Christ. And some of that world is particularly hostile to Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to bear positive witness to who your Son is and what your Son has done. That we would be good representatives of your Son. And that we would find our joy and our peace and our confidence not in how this world views us, not in how well we fit in, not in how much we're accepted by society at large, but that we would find our joy and our peace and our confidence knowing that we are accepted by you, that we are your children, that we are your royal people, your holy nation, a people for your own possession. May we never, ever forget that. And may we never, ever forget the cost that Christ paid to make us your people. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, and then we'll transition to our closing prayer.